We have a, we're going to put you in the middle there if that's okay. I'm going to move this out of the way too. I normally don't get up on the stage like that, but it'd probably be easier to see if we're sitting down. We have something very exciting this morning, something I'm, I'm really excited about. You know, we went through the book of Jonah, and last week we finished it up, and I thought to myself, or probably the Holy Spirit said, Julie has a kind of a Jonah story, and she shared it with the shepherds, I don't know, what, a month or so ago, Julie? Go ahead and you can sit down. Um, and I just felt like the Lord wanted her to share her story. So we're going to do kind of an interview style, I guess, that way we can ask her some different questions and whatnot. Let me get this going for you. Now, she was concerned about her clothes that she was wearing. She called me this morning and she said, John, I'm in my work clothes. I said, well, obviously you don't know Stones River because those are actually cool jeans right there. I'd probably rock those on a Sunday morning. You know what I'm saying? can't get my girls not to wear jeans like that. <laughs> but she's dressed like this because she got a... Well, you can tell, them why you, tell them why you're dressed like this, Julie. Okay. Well, anybody who was here last Sunday, you know I wear dresses too. So I was here last Sunday with a dress on. But um, Saturdays, I work out in the field with people, obviously. And um, I got a call last night after I got home from a girl at a hotel room. And she was very distraught and um, just everything in her life was crashing. She said the boyfriend had left and didn't pay for the hotel room. They were trying to kick her out. She didn't want to live anymore. She was, had taken too many probably pain pills and was just, you know, going just every which direction. So um, I drove back here. I don't live in Murfreesboro. Um, anymore on the weekends I stay up on a family farm up in Robertson County in Springfield so I um, left I had eaten supper and I just went ahead and came on back and so I ended up staying with her at the hotel for a while and then of course the motel management had called the cops because the policeman because she was there and she hadn't paid and she couldn't pay and they wanted her off the property so the police were there too crisis had been called but crisis if anyone works with anybody out in the field, sometimes crisis takes some time to get there. You know, if you've got an agent or a person that works more than one county, that like we do, sometimes crisis can be the sheriff's department or the policeman taking them in handcuffs to the hospital and then putting them in a room. But they're not doing any kind of um, really any therapy or any kind of um, kindness yet. They're just getting them so they won't hurt themselves. So anyway, they allowed me to stay with her. They allowed me to put her in my car, take her to the hospital, following the policeman. And then they allowed me to wait with her <laughs> while crisis came. So yeah, early this morning, the crisis finally got there. And, and I had brushed my teeth, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't drive. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't drive all the way back home, you know, to change clothes to come to church. And so she I apologize. She lives 70 miles away, so. <laughs> yeah, so I apologize for that. But, but if you work with me on Saturdays, we want to layer up like this and work outside there you and go so, I love yeah. it. let's can we pr i don't have to say her name but well stacy's okay. her name Stacey. and um yeah and she knew that i was here last sunday because i told everybody last week about being here so i'm sure someday you'll probably meet miss stacy because she'll hopefully get some awesome. help in the next seven days or so and then no probably let her out so i'm sure you'll get to meet her with me one of these days yeah. awesome. but yes we need to keep her in our prayers father we love you so much lord thank you that we can just come as a family uh, before you, Lord, and just lift up Stacy. 
Father, we know for a fact the enemy wants to destroy your life. I mean, there's no doubt about it that he loves to war against your children. He loves to war against the saints, Father. And so we just kind of punch him back this morning and say, no, um, we're not going to allow you to have this, this one, Lord. We ask that the revelation of who you are, the, an intimacy and closeness with you would fill Stacy. That Holy Spirit, you are a deep comforter, the only one who can bring, there's a level of comfort that you can bring us that nothing or no one in this world can bring us. And so, Lord, I just ask that that comfort would come to Stacy and that nearness of the person of you, Holy Spirit. Ah, Lord, that she would be, um, take the sorrow and the pain, Lord, that it would be turned into, in, into joy, Lord. And um, I even pray, Lord, that she would be able to help others, Lord, in these situations, Lord. And, and uh, we just love you for it. And we thank you for being so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You want to say anything before we start, Gregory? I, I'm, I'm just so glad that you're here with us. Thank We're excited you. to hear about this story. Um, and uh, no, I, well, let's just dive in. I don't, I don't want to bog down. Yeah, we need a PhD to ask the good questions, you know, the deep questions. <laughs> the unintelligible questions. <laughs> Everyone's like, what did you just ask, Greg? <laughs> All right, Julie, share with me, uh, share with us a little bit about before your Jonah experience, what your life was like, your church life, your life, whatever, and uh, yeah, just share that. Okay. Um, talk I, good in the mic. I know you don't want to. No, probably. well, I talk pretty loud. You already. do. You do. Okay. Can you hear me now? <laughs> You're perfect. Okay. Um, um, I am. Let's see. I am one of three children. I'm the oldest daughter. I have two brothers um, in my family, and my mom was, of course, a stay-at-home mom. My father was an accountant with Ernst and Young or Ernst and Ernst, so he was. He was a, a, a workaholic like, like me, or I'm a workaholic like him. But, um, but we grew up, to tell you that, um, my brothers and I were very, very fortunate. We grew up like a lot of families in church, and, um, and my mother was a stay-at-home mom. Um, I, my brothers and I, we were blessed to be able to be in Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, 4-H, FFA, you know, go to school, um, be in, involved in church activities, go to church camp, band camp, you name it. We, you know, we did it. Um, we played sports. So we were just a good all-around family, I think. And I like to say that um, at, at that point of time, I just never really believed anything about my life was extra special. I just thought everybody was raised that way and everybody grew up that way. And I believe that sometimes we get tend to, tend to think that we're growing up maybe in a little bubble. We're protected. Mm -hmm. And we're in the same families of our church and, and our economy and our amount of money that we're in, in, involved in. And we belong to the same country clubs. We belong to the same this, that. You know, we swim together. All of us grow up together. Um, I came, I graduated from Willisville High School in 1977. And I came here to Murfreesboro to MTSU with my horse for horse science. We had horses and cattle and stuff. So my father was an accountant, but we had like a hobby farm. So we were 40, 50 acres and we were able to have show animals and things. And so um, as, a, as a, a joy and not, you know, required living. Wow. So um, with that said, uh, I, I married the, uh, the tack man. The, the, my husband um, had a tack store in Brentwood, Tennessee, and we knew him as I was growing up. And we got married, and Butch and I have one son. I have one son who's 37 years old. He's an accountant, and he's in um, Nashville. So, um, 
So yeah, my grandparents were accountants, my father was an accountant, and so my son's an accountant. So you can imagine that I should know pretty much about bookkeeping and things, and I should not make stupid mistakes. We're counting on it. That's right, that's right. So um, oh. I'm at the age of uh, 52, I learned a valuable lesson that um, my parents taught us all when we were little. You don't spend money that hasn't cleared the bank yet. You don't write checks and, um, and, and spend things that you don't know that you don't really have. And um, I bought a business in Lebanon, Tennessee. In 2007, I moved to Lebanon from Brentwood. And so um, this tax store, we had a horse equipment store, and um, so there, it's not anybody else's fault but my own. I have um, a customer, sometimes customers write checks too that don't clear the bank and don't, that aren't good. So when you don't write checks, I learned a valuable lesson. On November 18th of 2011, I went to um, court to pay a check that had bounced, obviously, because of some other issues with my customer's check. And I was there to pay that money. And um, Judge Durham, I was, I was part of the Chamber of Commerce. I love working. I worked for a company for 28 years in Nashville, retired before I bought that store. So I'm real involved in communities. I like growth and development, and so I like to be involved. So Judge Durham and all the attorneys and lots of people are my friends, and I know them from church. I went to um, College Hills Church Christ. So I knew lots of different people in the community, and so I was there to pay a $300 check. And the judge said, follow that officer out the door. And I thought I was going to the payment window. I didn't know I was going to booking. And booking um, led to um, fingerprinting and the officers, a lot of them knew me because they had mounted police. We haven't mounted police people in Wilson County. So all of them came to my horse store. That's cool. Yeah, so it was really cool. And I was embarrassed and by everybody seeing me there getting booked. But the people that had checks out did the right thing if someone has committed a crime against them and they're scared of not being able to get their money back, they're gonna to have to press charges against you and you have to have your day in court. So that was my day in court. And that day in court turned out to be um, staying there until um, my court day, which was 11 days later. So um, I didn't know what that really meant, but you can bond out. If you don't have the money to cover your checks though, you don't have any money to bond out. <laughs> so, um, my son at the time lived in California, and um, Christopher said, you know, Mom, you're a real people person. You know, you teach first grade Sunday school, you do all these different things, and you are a taxpayer, you should use the free public defender. We shouldn't have to hire an attorney, so you just wait for the 11 days, and, and then you'll go to court, and, and you'll come out. So with that said, I thought that how bad could it be? And um, so I, sure enough, I got put in an orange suit, Thank goodness I'm a UT fan because everybody's wearing yeah, orange in let's there. Let's go. Yep, everybody's in orange, so that was that was okay. So um, I went and um, I got my little my little roll, little mat you're supposed to sleep on and stuff. And you're walking in to the jail cells, and they put me in a cell all by myself. Well, the first thing I thought of was I was in the Martha Stewart, you know, rich lady cell, and that um, this wasn't gonna be so bad because the women came up to the door and you could look through the glass and the first thing they started saying, nobody was guilty in that jail. No one's <laughs> ever guilty in jail, except uh, I told them I was. I had made a mistake and wrote a check and, and so I was there for bad checks and the first girl, the first lady talked to me, said, I'm in here for attempted murder and I'm going, thank you God for this door between <laughs> me and those people. 
I'm just so thankful. <laughs> so the lady said, I didn't do it, though, because she said if I had, she said, I just stabbed him in the arm. I didn't stab him in the heart. And so she was, she had all these reasons. But she's, she's one of my closest friends now, I have to tell wow. you. She's got, she makes all well, these little yarn things here I've got around my neck. She's doing good and has her own business now. But um, what that was, was going the beginning. Th- what was going through your head? That was the beginning. You're... Yeah, that was the beginning of. I thought, God, I, I was mad at everybody. I was furious with my customer, furious with me, furious with family, furious with everybody. You wow. know, I didn't. I didn't think life was fair. Um, I cried, and and I'll be honest with you, don't ever cry if you're in jail. The girls will tell you because the psychiatrist comes to see you, and they ask you a question. They say, at this time, do you think you have anything worth living for? And I said, well, no, my store's down the street, not opened. My family's not anywhere that can help me. I'm going to be here for 11 days. My Jeep Cherokee's out here in the parking lot. Uh, No, I don't think I really have anything. Uh, So you really kind of find out about that Martha Stewart sale wasn't really the Martha Stewart sale. After all, it was the suicide watch sale. And so people watch you for 11 days. I didn't know I was being watched. And so they watch you make sure you're going to be okay. But... Um, I really uh, have to say that that was the beginning of me coming full circle with what my faith was all about. Teaching Sunday school for all those years, you know, I was so so um, caught up in trying to impress my heavenly father, I mean my uh, earthly father, and not my heavenly father, mm. with having the best business, having the biggest business, making the most money, you know, it, you just, you don't, you put God back here, He's going to wake you up. And so um, two days wow. in that cell, I, I told God, if you'll just get me out of here, you know, I promise I won't do anything and I'll live my life the right way. But God wasn't finished with me yet. So 11 days later, I go to court. And um, I want to say judges and attorneys probably need raises. If there's any attorney in here, they probably need, they need to make more money. That stack of files on the, on the desk every time I went to court was this you know, thick. And they were saying that they didn't have time to investigate my case yet. And I didn't know why they would even say that because I already said I was guilty and you know, let me out and I'll go and keep paying the checks. I'd gotten the checks down to, it was a $4,000 check that bounced. So I got the checks down to almost like $900. So um, I didn't have much more to cover before I got in trouble about it. So um, they told me that day that the judge comes every other month. So November, the end of November, turned into January 4th. So they walked me back to my cell, and at that time, I got put into the population with 38 girls downstairs and 38 girls upstairs. And I was in a cell with a girl, and I really wanted to stay in my little cell by myself because I, I bathed by myself, and I you know, walked by myself, and I ate by myself, and that's kind of the way I felt. It was very comfortable there. And I didn't want to be in with all the other girls and stuff. So I really begged them not to do that. And they said that I didn't have any choice and, you know, grow up, you know. Well, <laughs> so um, that started the real, the real education. And I'll fast forward for you. I let, those were 11 days, if you'll think about what I'm saying, 11 days. Every month, the judge came every other month. January turned to March. March turned to May. May turned to August. Everything that could have happened when I went to court, 
the judges and the attorneys said, we just haven't you know, had time to look into this. I had three public defenders, and really, they told me I should have been ROR'd out. I've never even had a speeding ticket. So there really wasn't a reason for me to be there, except that God knew that he had a plan for me. And I love Jeremiah 29, where God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And my purpose was to be there and learn from those girls really about the obstacles of what you come out and you're, you're going to have to start your lives over. The girls told me in the jail that they, I saw them, if you can imagine, I was there exactly 11 and a half months. I got out October 12th of 2012. I was taken to court. It wasn't even my court date. And I've got it up on my wall, the, the letter and everything. They said that I didn't intentionally write bad checks. I could go home. And you have to imagine, at that time, I had been in the jail, and the girls were there. And I kind of turned it into, not, not that I'm, I do have a problem with workaholic, but I turned it into a job. I started doing Bible study three times a day. I did an activities I treated the girls like they were first graders. I mean, they just wanted someone to listen to them. And they were telling me all the things that they questioned about God and about, about life. And they taught me about drugs and alcohol. I didn't have a drug and alcohol problem. They told me about that. I told them about my grandmother and my mother, about cooking and canning and gardening and, you know, stuff about raising my child. Um, it was, it was amazing, the journey every day. They taught me how to play spades and dominoes and how to throw dice. You know, I, you know, I just, it was, it was a real, it was a real education. Sometime I'll bring those souvenirs. I have souvenirs from jail. They made all those things. One girl took Sometimes her sock. Let's, let's throw dice. <laughs> oh yeah, I know how to throw dice. But they made dice out of toilet paper with little dots on them and they hardened up and it's terrible. But yeah, I mean. Interesting. So I'm just saying that the education that they told me, the girls would violate their probation and come back into jail. I would say to them, why are you back here? Because I'm in there the whole time, the same cell, the same bunk. You know, the church ladies were coming in, seven churches came in there and they teach prison ministry. They teach church 45 minutes on Sunday morning and then once on Wednesday night. And I'm the same person in the same spot. And they didn't, I guess they thought I was a terrible person because I was there for so long. But the girls would come in and, and go out and come in and go out. I had never been sentenced yet, so I didn't have a chance to go out and get in trouble again and come back, which, you know, I, I haven't gotten, thank God, I haven't gotten in trouble again. <laughs> so anyway, the girls, the girls said that it was too hard on them, that church people weren't nice, and then they'd go, but you are, Miss Julie. They called me a normal lady. I'm not normal. I'm just like them. You know, I, I told them there's no such thing as a normal lady. Well, church people aren't nice. I said, you don't give church people a chance, it sounds like. But they said they didn't have anything to wear. No, they can't get a job. And uh, they didn't have a place to live. Nobody would rent to them. I told them they were being lazy. That, that wasn't, that wasn't mm -hmm. true. I, t I told them I just didn't believe that. I said, I worked for someone for 28 years in Nashville. We didn't have any problem getting jobs or hiring people. They said, you'll understand. They don't hire felons. Mm -hmm. Well, I told them when they came out, that when I got out, I would have a big house and they could come live with me and I'd take care of all of them. And um, I, I really believed that. And so when I got out though, that was when the real education started because I got out and I didn't realize, but because the law has changed now where if your check amounts are $1,000 or more, then you'll be a felon. 
Back in 2012, it was $500. So I was over $500 for the amount that wasn't picked up yet. So that made me a felon. I didn't realize I was a felon when I got out October 12th. It wasn't until I started trying to find a place to work that someone said, come back and see us seven to 10 years and we can hire you. I went back to the company I've worked for for years and um, Ferguson Enterprises, Lankford Hardware and Supply Company had closed, but Ferguson Enterprises said, come back and see us in seven to 10 years. Everyone, oh, Charlie's, all the corporations, different companies, the girls were right because mm -hmm. I was a felon. And I said, I wasn't a felon, but I found out I was a felon. So the girl, the, right was the beginning of it, going to the rescue mission. I stayed at the rescue mission. I learned everything I could learn there. And I looked for jobs. And then I just started being part of the Chamber of Commerce and being part of, of um, having my own business before, my husband. It was easy to help people that I met in the jail and it, I saw, I had some of the things here last Sunday on the table. If you come see our office, I've got things that people have started their own businesses. They, they pay their taxes. They got their voting rights back. There's grants out there and a lot of them just need help using the computer. So the really, um, Brother Larry Locke, who's passed away now from College Hills Church of Christ. When I got out, it took me four months going back to Lebanon, showing, telling people, I didn't want people to think I had tricked them on purpose or something. So I was bound determined I was gonna start over again. But you couldn't just walk back into the bank and you couldn't get back in getting started really fast because you're a felon. So um, I, my first job was Harside um, at night as a custodian. I was never so happy to get an $8 an hour job. Mm -hmm. And I started there 11 o'clock at night to 7 in the morning. And then I walked to College Hills Church of Christ and I was a janitor there for um, the 8 o'clock in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. So I did that about six, seven months, saved my money and, you know, was able to get a car and was able to get up and going again. But that's where the real education came in. In December of 2013, I was giving some of the girls rides and trying to help them in between me working my jobs. And the girls have husbands or boyfriends. They have relatives. They have parents. It just, the word kind of just grew and that people knew where I was living. And so they'd come to my door and they needed all sorts, they just sit and talk. So it kind of started in my home, just with Bible study around the dining, dining room table. And then it grew and they were sitting on the living room floor. And then it was just getting big, they were out in the yard. And so it just kind of grew from there. Um, I happened to help a gentleman's a nephew um, one year, and um, the nephew happened to get to eat Thanksgiving dinner with his uncle, and his uncle owned one of the car dealerships in Lebanon who had a 3,600-square-foot building across from Cumberland University. So that's where the Next Step Resource Center started in December of 2013 was because this nephew happened to be able to eat dinner with his family who had not wanted anything to do with him for years. And the uncle said, you know, why are you sitting here with us today and not out doing drugs or stealing? And the boy goes, Miss Julie. And he goes, what's a Miss Julie? <laughs> so I was blessed that that gentleman found out about me and then he, he um, happened to slide a key across the table and say, start, a, start your own business again. Of course, I said no first. I said, I'm never starting a business undercapitalized again where you make a mistake and you can't fix mm -hmm. it. But um, it, it did happen. I was able, he let me have it for like three months. Three months of being there, I brought some furniture from home. People came and 
We helped 380 something people the first month without even having any internet or anything. They just didn't know where to go get jobs and they didn't know where to get things. And it's been going strong ever since. Well, yeah, well, so I know I talk too much, but no, that's, no. that's the story. <laughs> that's how it got started. And so now well, what I'm really excited about is churches like yours has so much potential because there's so many easy things that we can do to help the homeless situation and help the people that are coming out of incarceration. My idea was just to help women out of jail was my idea. But then it took off really fast because it's not just women. Mm -hmm. It's people on disability. It's people my age. I'm 62 years old now. And some people on disability only She'll get run around me. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what. Yeah. She goes. I know. Well, if somebody only lives on $733 a month or $800 a month, you can imagine what happens. So you've got people that turn out in a homeless situation that never even been incarcerated. Yeah. You know and stuff so that was where the education just learning from everybody where where um things are um this little book um i make i make little books in different in lebanon i was in lebanon from 2013 till 2017 in 2017 i opened up another little place in hartsville in trousdale county another gentleman gave me another 3,000 square feet and we helped a family member up there and their church had come down and volunteered with us. Well, they said it was too much work, really and truly. They just wanted to see us come up there and they could come help us there. So we got another location started. But there again, God kind of talked to me because I got too big for my britches. You know, you got too many, you got two locations going and you got, I'm also volunteering and working in other places. It was too much. I had some health issues. So that slowed me down. And so now the um, locations are thrift stores um, for other nonprofit organizations. And I partner with them and I just go in and do some classes. And so I came to Murfreesboro in 2019, October 2019, for a special event at the workhouse. You have a jail here, you have 940, which they call it 940, it's five floors of you know, men and women. They house federal, state, and county inmates. And then you have what they call the work center, which is a wonderful place where 400 people that can house up to that many get the honor or get the privilege to be able to move from 940, cut some of their time and go serve at the workhouse where they get to go out into the public and get a job at an employer and make money and you know, have a better, a better um, chance of maybe becoming something. So I came and I teach at the workhouse on Friday mornings, I teach a two-hour class to women called um, Concepts in Living, which I call it, it's my grandmother's classes, but um, we just teach everything from cooking to cleaning to how to iron your clothes to how to take care of a house or something that you rent. I mean, some people don't know you're supposed to change your air filters, you know, in the wall or clean the leaves out of your gutters and the gutters won't fall off. You know, if a, if a landlord won't rent to us because we're felons, if we can show that we're going to be the best renter that they'll ever rent to, then they'll give us an opportunity. So I take property that has holes in the walls and places that people would not want to live. And a lot of times the men and women from background issues will know how to do the construction work. We can fix up the places and then move forward. So that's, that's kind of really how good. it's gone. And so... 
can you talk a little bit? Actually, let me ask this I question talk first. A lot. No, no, no. <laughs> no go, well, I got a yeah, lot of sorry. things going. Yeah. You mentioned like your life before this, and your life after. I want to hear about like your relationship with God, and like your like feeling like. Like I think now you feel like you're a little bit more on God's mission. Oh what, yes. And I just want to I just want to kind of hear like what okay. what are some of the differences there? Okay. Um, yeah. I, without crying, sometimes I get emotional, but usually I'm really happy. I think that uh, um, God really taught me when we're raised. I realized being raised up in church, you have a foundation, but. I, I kind of skipped the foundation part and went right to the to the building part that you mm-hmm. see, and I I didn't pay attention to the foundation part. Mm-hmm. I realized at 52 years old, all of a sudden my life changed. I went from over a hundred thousand dollar a year job to not being able to get a job for four months, and then get a job that was eight dollars an hour. You can imagine changing my budgets from. You know, it took me those years to pay all that debt off, too. You know, I was on six years probation. So I had to pay, just like the girls, that's how they go back to jail all the time. When you come out of jail that first month, you've got to pay your restitution and your probation fee. So I had to pay $170 a month. I walked out of there with no job, no money, and people telling you that you're a felon, you can't get a job. God was with me the whole time, though, because every time a door would close, a door would open. Mm. So all I had to do was slow down and listen. And sometimes I have to think it's not Julie time, it's God's time. So it wasn't my time to do the things that God wanted me to do. And now that I listen, I listen a lot better now (laughs) (laughs) and stuff. I still get in a hurry sometimes, but I really believe that uh, I have to say I I can understand. It makes me a better person to understand where I can teach other people to. Now, I still did the first three years of being open at the Next Step Resource Center. We helped over 7,000 people that first year. That was unbelievable for us to do that. We had no, each town's different. So there wasn't a lot of nonprofits in Lebanon that work with people out of incarceration. So when you, um, after you get to teach in churches and teaching people how to help and stuff, which is wonderful, then more places open up. So that's really a good thing. I was so busy helping someone with a shirt or a dress or a job or a ride to work, I forgot that first year, I forgot to really worry about them going to heaven mm. and knowing what God really wanted to do. So I have to say the first three years, I had to put that in perspective too, and I really have learned more about, I'm really interested, I'm not, I, I really, I want them to have clothes and a job, and I want them to live happily ever after, but they have to know about God. Mm-hmm. They have to know about Jesus and why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So, so what does that look like in practice in, in your weekly work? Do you have Bible studies? We do. do you, yeah, um, we do. Um, in Murfreesboro, the last two years, um, because COVID hit in 2020, um, of course, being a felon, even though I'd been in business since December 2013 to October 2019, every company in Murfreesboro that have apartments, it's their, just their rules. They don't rent to felons, period. 
It didn't matter. I'm still a felon. I have not um, gotten it. I can get it expunged off my record, but I haven't had it expunged off my record yet because I'm kind of stubborn about, I think that people should um, take a person and they made a mistake, but after you see that they haven't made that mistake again, and after you see how they are and you get to know them, they should have an opportunity to start over and not be judged for that label. And that might be the wrong thing, I guess, you know, but that's the way I felt. So, and it also helps me when the girls and the men um, are coming in and talking to me and they know how I feel about God and how I feel about church and how I feel about the requirements. To get my help, they have to become part of a, of a some sort of church community. They have to know about church families. They have to know about, like you said this morning in your prayer uh, from the shepherd prayer, um, if they're not part of a church family, they're not going to make it. We can do everything we want as a nonprofit, yeah. but if they don't become a church family member and know really what God's love is and what, what God did for us, they won't make it. Yeah. So um, with that said, um, they know budgeting classes are required, which um, I don't know if they know it, but you're, you mm -hmm. said your church is going to start a budgeting class. Mm -hmm. So budgeting classes will be starting, and then there's Bible study that they can go to, in a church of their choice, but then they also have other classes that I do every day. I do have a little office now at um, Nourish Food Bank, which is at 1809 Memorial, which um, I didn't have it when I got to talk right to the elders to that Hardware. night. Hmm? Right next to Haynes Hardware. Yes, next to Haynes Same Hardware. Yeah. But I do classes there open to the public and to anyone that wants to you know, come to them, we do them. But we'll do our budget class here Right. and stuff so yeah and that'll get them um, involved in the community and involved with your church I got another we won't go too much longer but I have okay. another quick question um how did your view of people change because I know that whenever you were sitting and you said that in that jail <laughs> you kind of labeled them as other or you know that and then now well yeah before the 11 days were up I God talked to me and <laughs> he told me I hate to say it like that, but um, he told me not to be afraid. I was never afraid after about the third night of being in that jail. I was never afraid again of the people in the jail. And I'm not afraid now. Now, sometimes people say that's not, I'm not very smart because I put a lot of different people in my car with me and I pick them up and I drive them around and different things. But something has just made me calm and I'm not afraid of people. Um, um, I try to be a little bit more open to um, people. I, I try not to judge as much because I don't want people to judge me. Yeah. So, but I still have to work on it. <laughs> I, I have to learn. Every, I'm learning every day. Yeah. And stuff. And I think that's so interesting and so important because it is easy to, like you said, uh, I guess earlier you're like, you know, you don't realize the $170. You don't realize the payments. You don't realize the challenges to getting jobs. At some, and it's so easy for us sometimes to be like, well, they should just be better. You know, and I think, any, I think most of us have probably experienced that. But it's like when you get to know people and get to know them on a personal level and you get to understand, often there's reasons for their struggles. Now, some of it is they've made mistakes and stuff like that. But there's also a lot of challenges that people go through. We're, we're not going to fix everyone and not everyone takes the opportunity that we give them and does anything with it. Sometimes they're just out to manipulate and they're not going to change. But I guess the 
the true difference between all of us because we do know the love of the Lord. We do know about forgiveness. That's the real thing. So I do believe in first, second, third, fourth chances. Mm. You know, a lot of times uh, I'm not as not as gullible or naive as I was when I first started in 2014. Mm. I'm a little meaner now, maybe. <laughs> but um, we make these little books up, and each town I go into, um, I guess I do a lot more hand-holding than people do sometimes in some nonprofits because I have more time because I'm a smaller organization now than I was. And so that gives me more personal time. So we have these little books that we can give out. And as you volunteer, it tells you where places are. You've got great amounts of nonprofits here that are wonderful in Murfreesboro. And they, and they work together. The churches need to come alongside, though, of those nonprofits, obviously. We need to volunteer there. We need, but we also need to get to know the people we're yes. helping. Because the people we're helping, if they don't have a relationship, they can't just go into a nonprofit, get a food box every week, and we expect to see them come off the streets. We have to show them what to do with that food, how to cook it, how to prepare it, how to store it, how to maybe survive with it, and then they won't have to go back every week. We also need to help them get jobs. There's no reason that someone doesn't have a job at this day and age right now because there's so many employers that don't have people coming to work because they gave so much free money out. Um, you know. Yeah. So now felons can get jobs and people, they call me all the time. They said, we want your people. I get tickled when they say your people. But <laughs> the homeless or the people that just don't, they need an opportunity. I give a lot of rides to work in the mornings and someone said well maybe i shouldn't just give away a free ride to work it's not a free ride to work very long and the people sometimes just need to have a little hand up the rover you know some of the things you might you're not asking out loud but um, i can feel it in the air the <laughs> things that you guys can do to help us is really really easy a man could ride with another man on the rover one or two times and make that gentleman feel really relaxed about riding in the rover they they don't know how to read very well sometimes they don't know where to get the little bus pass and they get scared so i ride the rover a lot with people just ride so that they don't get scared and they can ride the rover there's really easy things to do that we could do with people that you'll be surprised. You'll see them turn into a whole different person yeah. after they feel comfortable, you know, about about doing stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and and, I, and I'm wondering about that. Um, just like what you have seen, you've you've mentioned so many different things. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. That that that's and that's good. That I mean, that means there's lots of opportunities. But part I think part of the struggle that we have as as volunteers oftentimes is we kind of feel like we try doing something and it doesn't seem to make much difference. So I'm wondering what, like, what have, what has, for you has been the most important thing to see people transition from that kind of, um, not just taking what the system's offering and staying stuck, but actually moving into a different lifestyle. Okay, so, so I'm making this book right now with pictures. The sheriff wants to see March 1st what report I have for the last two years of being in Murfreesboro. So what I've done is the people that have come out of the jail um, that I've worked with, I've, I keep up with them. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a friend and family member of theirs for the rest of their lives if they want to be around, around me, people in all these different counties. So as a church, what I think, or I volunteer working with someone, is I want that person to know when they get a job and 
Okay, so the men and women come out, and a lot of times they go into transitional homes. We talked about it a little bit. You guys might not realize how many you have right around this corner, around this neighborhood. You've got men's houses and women's houses living. Okay, so those men and women, when they complete nine months to a year program, they're going to get their own house. We take in not just free clothes, we take in free furniture, pots and pans, things that you need for when you start, just like when you get out of college and you're going to start your own home. So that's what we try to do, keep the basic things. So we give them those things for free and we help them when they get started. So we kind of stay in their, their lives more. So I would say to answer that, um, I watch and I see, um, I told someone the other day, I was at a 48% which is a pretty good percentage for success. And it's because, I guess, I babysit. Wow. I that babysit is really good. them. 40% I mean, is really good. That's huge. But they are, and that's what I'm going to prove to the sheriff um, on March 1st. And I'll be glad to share this book with you guys. So we've got pictures of the men or the women. We've got them in front of their houses. We've got them in front of their jobs. And we've got them, they haven't gone back to jail in two years. They haven't you know, committed a crime again. Now, will they make it five years from now? I, you know, I hope so. But I think if we can ground them, yeah. then, then that would be a better situation. Can, can I just interpret what you just said? If yeah. I, I want to know if I heard you correctly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, one of, the, one of the big problems that we have in charitable work is dependency. That's correct. Right? Right. And, and you're talking about a 48% that's getting out of a dependent situation into a more independent situation. Right. But I heard you say, I think, right. that in your mind, the difference, the reason that your numbers are that good is because of relationships. Yep. Relationships. Because you're friends with these people yep. and are willing to continue to be friends with them. That's correct. Past services. That's correct. Yep. And isn't that what Jesus did? Yes. Yeah. He was a friend. That was the, well, I was going to say that was the, uh, my last thought, my personal last thought was that Julie and I have had some of these conversations because I've asked her. A lot of times as churches, we've done very like event-based helping people out, and it doesn't, all, it doesn't really help for the long term most of the time, does it, Julie? <laughs> I don't, she doesn't want to say, but it doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. I had a church person tell me the other day that the only thing the ladies in his church do is take the girls when they come out of jail or they go to Doors of Hope. I love Doors of Hope, by the way. I'm not bashing them at all. Doors of Hope is a wonderful program. There's a couple of houses here in town for women mm -hmm. that aren't Doors of Hope. But the church ladies go get the ladies. They go to Walmart, the man said. They spend about $100 getting all their new stuff that they need to get started. And then they don't see the girls again. So well, I was well, going to say, like, I'll... Imagine being in their shoes, right? Like you're broken, you're trying to get on your feet, and it's nice that people do this. Or, I mean, I think of when I, you know, graduate or went to graduate high school, and some some people gave me some money, but like I needed more than just like a little bit of money or books or something. Like I, I needed that relationship, I needed that coaching, that helping, that mentorship. Or, where would I be? Well, just think of it. I hate to say there's good and bad people, but just think of it. When I take someone to get started, they're not going to, I'm not just handing it to them. We don't want to just, we don't want to enable them. Yeah. And I had to learn that. So when someone is really, they're trying to tell us what they think we want to hear. 
because they want to please us. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so I guess I hate to say raising horses and cattle and, and dogs and having kids and doing different things, you know, I guess I just applied that, but that it all comes down to our commitment and our relationships that mm -hmm. we learned here in, in, in a church building with a church family. Mm -hmm. Their, their hearts have holes in them because they don't know that relationship. When yeah. they know that relationship, then you'll see them be successful in their recovery with anything, drugs, alcohol, relationships. But yes, does everybody, does everybody want that? No, they don't, unfortunately. Yeah. But it doesn't mean we can't try. Yeah. Wow, right? I mean, that, that's, that's phenomenal. Um, I, I, I do have a thought, if, if I could have a concluding thought. Would that yeah. be okay? You're a doctor. I can't say no to you. <laughs> just, so, if you just if you just try it six months, like if you said, okay, we're going to try it, say March first, yeah, and six months from now, we'll sit here again and talk, and we'll say, well, what's it look like? It happened. I guarantee you, you'll see some changes. That's right. That's yeah. good. That's right. Um, so when I listen to Julie's story. There's a word that comes to mind, but it's one of those unintelligible <laughs> highbrow words, right? <laughs> um, we say in, in the study of, of theology, we talk about the church being incarnational. And for a lot of people, they go, What's, what is that, right? Um, well, the incarnation is the word took on flesh and dwelt among us right? That is the taking on of flesh, the incarnation. And so then when you turn that into an adjective and you say, well, we need to be incarnational, uh, that's a little confusing because you think, well, we're not the word of God and we're not going to take on flesh. We're already flesh. So what are we talking about here? And what we're talking about is the imitation of Jesus's depth of love mm -hmm. that compels him to not only to not only help us from a distance, but to come into our very midst, take on our very pains and our circumstances and our realities in the flesh. And, and so when we say, you know, church, let's be incarnational, we're saying, let's imitate Jesus in that way. But I'll tell you what, it's hard to come up with examples of what that means. Mm. It's hard to come up with real life examples. And when I, hear, when I hear Julie say, I could have expunged from my record a, a charge of, of felony, but I choose not to because she's not becoming a Jew to the Jews. She's not becoming a Gentile to the Gentiles. She is choosing to be a felon to the felons. And... Um, I'm moved by that. I'm, 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 I'm touched by that. And it, it makes me think of this passage. There are a lot of things that we're seeking to do well as a church family. And Paul says to the Corinthians, Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. And church, I want you to imagine that this generous undertaking is the one that 
that Julie is, is inviting us into, challenging us, calling us into, to love our neighbors, our most vulnerable neighbors, incarnationally. Paul says, I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness mm -hmm. of your love against the earnestness of others, of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. And so we began last year desiring to do something. Mm -hmm. Now finish doing it so that, in your e so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. Um, thank God for you, Julie. Thank, mm. thank God. And, and I know that you don't. Uh, no, thank uh, God for God. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I know that your, your, your faith compels you to give glory to God for what's happened, but we need your wisdom and your example. We need to learn from you how to be good friends because, frankly, mm. I don't know how to be a good friend to the felons that live in our neighborhood. I don't. It's kind of a scary thing sometimes to be a friend with a felon, but I mean, I'm a felon and I'm not going to hurt you. And you're my friend. And, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I'm your friend. Um, I'm just saying that they don't want to be felons either, you know, yeah. and uh, a lot of people, uh, if we just, you know, give them a chance, I'm just saying give them a chance. We won't be, we'll be smart with our chances, but I'm just saying as a church, it's easier for us to be able to make, welcome them. Of course, we, you're also, though, the target. Unfortunately, when we, they hear that we're church people, they think that we might be a little stupid or, you know, <laughs> they, that we might uh, let them get away with something. But you can weed them out real fast about it, just like anybody could be, you know, intentional <laughs> to yeah. be mean or whatever. We can uh, see that real fast. So yeah. we won't let you get hurt or anything. Don't worry. Awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you don't mind, Julie, I'd like to end today by you standing right there and us praying for you. Okay. Now, this, what this isn't is a, we're not going to be a part of you, so we're going to pray and send you off. This is yeah. a, we want to learn from you. We want to participate with you. And we just, right now, we can bless you with prayer and asking the Lord for how we can work in this partnership. You were church, thinking the same thing? Do that. So any, well, anyone that wants... Let us pray for you. Let's pray. If you, if you, yeah, no. Yeah, then they don't do anything else. That's why I'm explaining that's not what we're doing. If you are worried about COVID and stuff, feel free to, you know, you don't have to come up here. Oh, um, Julie brought some bears. There's a lady that, hold up, let me let her tell real quick. Yeah, they're on Zoom, they can't. Oh, okay. Oh, Zoom. Okay, so there's a, a lady that you'll meet because they're moving back from Florida and Church Christ members and Miss Connie, she makes what they call burden bears. So the bears are out on the table. I've got bags and bags of them. But because of COVID, we weren't able to go in and give them out as much. So when the ladies and the men or people come out and need something to help make them smile, um, that's what they are. And so they're just donated bears in that she finds and she cleans them. And then she puts a little quilt on them and a little saying on their arm. So there's a bunch of them. I thought, well, the kids maybe would like to have them since we haven't been able to give away as many. And um, But she's... 
Yeah, they were on my board of directors from College Hills and they retired. When Julie came last week, is how much she she was counting our kids and well, seeing how many to have. So please take one, kids. Um, so, so awesome. If you want to pray too, I mean, whatever. Father, um, man, we're, we are in awe of the work that you're doing through Julie, Father, and through those who help her. I know that she's not doing it all on her own, Lord, that there's others. Lord, we are uh, challenged, Father, by uh, her commitment to you, her love for people, her willingness, as Greg said, to be incarnational, to, to do what you did. Uh, Lord, we are your body. Like, that's it. Like, this is your body on earth right now. It's us. Lord, help us. Help us to, uh, to be your body well, Lord. <laughs> Father, I, I, I just thank you for this, this partnership. And Lord, I ask that you would give Julie, fill her with your wisdom, fill her with your love, fill her with hearing your Spirit's voice so clearly, Lord. And Lord, I ask that you would help her to be able to articulate um, with us how we can help Show us how we can help. And Lord, I pray that there would just be this blessing on her that she would be able to do it with other churches, Lord, with other people, Lord, that as she goes around, they would be able to see your heart for this community, Father, that, that Lord, the church would not just do um, you know, events once or twice a year, but the church would lay down its life, God. Lord, I just imagine a Murfreesboro church full of Julies who are giving everything to you, God. And we're giving everything, Lord. And we, and, and, and we all have gifts in different ways, Lord. It may be at our, our, our schools that we're giving everything for the students and for the teachers and we're laying down our lives and serving them or, or at our businesses that we're at, Lord. Whatever. But, but, Lord, that we would be like this, Lord, that we would, we would yield everything to you, Father. And we thank you for that, Lord. We're excited about opportunities to serve and love. And we just want to say, Lord, we want to be obedient to you. We want to be completely obedient, God. Thank you for sending her our way to give us some direction because, men, we needed some. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs> we needed more direction. We needed more. Um, I just want to say that when we had our worship practice this past week, we uh, sang the song we're about to sing to you all, well, with you, but um, I, I came home from worship practice and I said, Greg, I, I was worshiping, sometimes I can think about the music and not worship when, in our worship practice, I confess that now. This song brings me to a place of worship, and Julie, when you said, no, God is God, yes, he is. And so let's just worship him now. He is worthy of it all. <laughs> <laughs> 